0: Our message this morning is from Matthew 27, verses 11 to 26. Matthew 27, 11 to 26. So we've been working our way through the, the passion story, the last hours of Jesus' life. Last week was the, uh, the crowing rooster. Jesus was tried and convicted of blasphemy. And then we had Peter and his challenge, his struggle, his situation. After that, Jesus is, is brought before Pilate, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. In Matthew 27, 11 to 26. We read the word of the Lord. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not not to even a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. For I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What what crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, His blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged. And handed him over to be crucified. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word today, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. Pray this in your name. Amen. Got any football fans? Any football fans? I, I, love, I love me some football, like a pretty big fan. And I had the opportunity uh, a couple years ago, uh, so it wasn't this past season, but the season before, You know, back when, when the Giants were actually pretty good, I, I got to go to a Giants game in Minnesota, which was pretty awesome. Um, I was in seminary at the time, and they had just opened up uh, US Bank Stadium, which is a beautiful, beautiful stadium, by the way. And we were trying to figure out how we were gonna go, because I had some friends, and, and they, were, they were definitely Giants fans, the guy that I was going to seminary with, and one of his friends that lived in, in Minnesota there. And then I had another friend who was a Minnesota fan, and and we realized that they were playing together. It was like a Monday night football game, so it was something we could all go to. Uh, It was was awesome. And and so we're we're trying to find tickets, and it was way outside our price range. I mean, we're like seminary students, and this just isn't really going to happen. And then Teddy Bridgewater blew out his knee, and Minnesota Vikings game tickets just dropped like way down in price. And we're like, all right. We're doing it. So we, we hopped in and, and we got the so, – sorry, Teddy, but thanks, Teddy. You know, kind of want to – so uh, the, the tickets dropped and we got, our, we got our tickets. And it was like the next day or two days later, uh, they traded for Sam Bradford and ticket prices went right back up. And it was like, got it, got it. I, I, don't, I don't play in stocks or anything. Maybe, maybe I should, but I – I wasted all of my luck on that particular situation, I think, so it just wasn't gonna happen. But anyway, so we go to this game, and it wasn't a very good game for, for Giants fans, but let me tell you, I have, I have never been somewhere that loud before. That place was rocket. They got this huge horn that like just amplifies the bass, and they get some dude, and I think he just goes, he pretends to blow on it, he just pushes a button, but when that bass starts vibrating, like, you feel it in your ribs. And, and they got this, like, on third down, now, they've, organ- like, they've, they've designed this building to be incredibly loud. So they got all, like, the sound reflectors and stuff on top, and they just have it all for, like, the acoustics and whatnot. When that crowd gets going, you can't hear anything. But I had, I had never been somewhere before where the sound waves hurt me. Like, on third down, when it started going loud, like, my ears were, like, vibrating. I could feel the pressure of the sound waves pushing against my chest. It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. I mean, I've, I've been to Century Field in Seattle. Like, it's pretty loud there. Like, they're known for being loud. That's an outdoor stadium. This place was nuts. Feeling the pressure against my chest feeling my chest being pushed in on third down as, as the Giants are trying to move the lines, like third and two, and Eli's sitting there trying to, they had to use sign language. There's no way they're hearing anything. It was so stinking loud. Have you ever been somewhere that the noise literally hurt you? Where the volume was crushing? Where you could feel the pressure of the sound against your ears and felt it compressing, against your chest. Noise has the ability to affect us physically, to hurt us. But I would argue that the words which are carried by noise hold more power. I would argue that they are able to inflict more harm. Growing up, you know, going to school and hanging out on the playground, life, you know, life can get a little real. It's a little real on those elementary playgrounds I remember, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> I remember how it seemed inevitable that at some point during the day when we were out at recess, somebody would get mad at someone else and eventually, almost inevitably, there would be like a name-calling fight or something, right? Everyone's too scared to like actually throw down, so they just kind of draw a line in the stand and one group and their friend stands on this side and the group then their friend stands on this side and they're just hollering like insults back and forth, right? Someone's, someone's got to be a bully. Someone wanted to be a bully. I remember those days vividly. Shorty, Shrimp, you know, Pansy. Those names still ring clear in my ears. I remember telling a teacher what was going on, which, which only added to the names that I was called as a, as a kid in elementary school. Since now I qualified for rat or snitch, or, or tattletale. So I bring my complaints to the teacher, and, and how do you think she responded? I'm just this little kid, right? And so I was, I was easy pickings. I was real easy but I was tiny. I was like, I was 4'11 my freshman year. I was a small kid. And so I was, I was easy pickings for just about anybody. And so I'd, I'd bring my complaints to the teacher, and, and how do you think my teacher would respond? She'd say, Daniel, you know, next time... Next time they call you a name, just say, say what? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Man, that sounded good to my little elementary ears. Yeah, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Those words, that phrase, man, they sound so good. If only they were true. Words carry such weight. The Bible tells us that from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. In Matthew 12 34, we read that. That what is in our hearts makes its way out of our mouths. Knowing what people think of you, how they feel about you, can be devastating. Words carry such weight. You know, I had many tumbles as a child. I never broke a bone, but I, I banged myself up pretty good on many occasions. I don't remember the pain of a skinned knee or a, or a sprained ankle or getting the wind knocked out of me, but I remember as clear as day the pain of getting called those names. The pain of someone finding my button, which for me, school was my size, and pushing it over and over Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. If only that was true. If only. So how did it feel to be Jesus? The crowd was roaring. You know, they were getting louder and louder. Our passage today tells us that they were starting to riot. But it wasn't just the sound decibels that were tearing at Jesus that day. He wasn't the Giants in the middle of U.S. Bank Stadium attempting to move the ball on third and two and trying to communicate the call, but being disrupted by waves of sound crashing down upon him. No, Jesus was a little kid on the playground, surrounded by bullies who taunted him and tore into him with words as they called out, Barabbas, give us Barabbas. With those words, they were saying, we don't want the one who has healed us, who has fed us, who has performed miracles among us, who has taught us, who has served us. Give us the murderer. <laughs> Give us the one who has killed our family and our friends. Give us Barabbas. Well, then what what should we do with Jesus? What should we do with Jesus? Jesus. Crucify him. Crucify him. Kill him. How do you not get mad at the mob, right? How could they be so blind? How could they be so ignorant? How could they be so foolish? They wanted a murderer set free instead of Jesus. What was wrong with them? Do you ever read like stories in the Bible and think, man, I never would have made that decision. I never would have done that. You know, for example, if only it had been me instead of Adam, we wouldn't have this sin problem. We'd all still be chilling in the Garden of Eden, stinking Adam. I think we do that with the crowd as well. We think, if only I had been there, I could have helped to quiet the crowd. I, I could have called out, Jesus, give us Jesus free. Jesus, things could have been different. Things should have been different. Jesus didn't deserve this. He, he didn't. But we would be wrong in assuming that it would have been any different had we been in that crowd. Though our voices may not have been raised to a fever pitch calling for the crucifixion of our Lord, our sins were. Our sins were Over the shouting of the mob, our sins called for the blood of Jesus. Cutting deeper than the hurtful words of the mob, our, our sin tore into Jesus. It was my sin, my pride, my anger, my idolatry. Karen and I were discussing sin with our children the other day, and one of my children piped up, So, uh, so it's sin when I sneak into your room and I eat your chocolate? Some sin, to the human eye, can seem almost cute, can't it? Sometimes we try to justify our sin. We throw out phrases like, the greater good, or or, nobody was hurt by it. But sin is sin. My child's admission of stealing candy from the top of mom and dad's dresser called out for the blood of Christ, louder than the shouting mob. It cut deeper than the words, Barabbas, give us, Barabbas, or crucify him. And how did Jesus respond to this cacophony of sound that was all around him? The sea of emotions and sin that was being dumped upon him. He was silent. And sometimes silence itself can be deafening. The silence of Jesus speaks volumes because Jesus was innocent of the crimes. He was innocent of the accusations that had been brought against him. And Pilate wanted to let him go. He wanted to set Jesus free. If Jesus had said, I am innocent, the whole story would be different. But that is not why he came. He came so the story would play out exactly as it did. In his silence, Jesus was looking at the crowd that was calling for his blood. And he was saying, I love you. He was looking at you and at me and at the sin that we have committed and will commit and said, I love you. And I will die in your place so that payment... So that by that payment, your sins will be forgiven. When Jesus died, he died for the sins of the past, present, and future. And so the sin that we have committed today and the sin that we will commit tomorrow called out for the blood of Jesus. It is for our sin that he had to die. Our sin is what kept us from the Father. Because of our sin, because of the bad things that we do, the bad things we think, God was not able to have relationship with us. We were separated from Him. Unable to do anything of our own accord to repair the relationship. Unable to cross the divide between ourselves and God. His silence was deafening in its proclamation of love. And forgiveness for you, for me, for the whole of mankind. Even those that he was looking in the eyes as they called for his blood. This is why he came. Jesus came to reconcile us to the Father. To repair our relationship. And to do so, he had to conquer sin he had to defeat death. And so, Jesus stood there before Pilate, before the crowd. He stood there silently. He did not offer a defense. Isaiah 53, the prophet wrote in verse 7, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before it shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. He did not offer a defense. He did not call upon the Lord to send armies of angels to save him. He did not smite his accusers with fire. He did nothing to save himself. His love for us kept his mouth shut and his hands at his sides. His love for us and for the Father sent him up the hill to Calvary. For us, he was overwhelmed by the roar of the crowd, cut by the words of his accusers, and crushed by the weight of our sin. He endured all of that for you, all of it, for you, for me, for the world. And because he is God, he rose from the dead, defeating sin and death forever. And in so doing, he made a way for us. He opened the door for us, and he draws us to the Father. God's love for us is so complete. His grace upon us is so unmerited. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in his book, Meditations on the Cross, he wrote, God does not love some ideal person but rather human beings, just as we are. God does not love some ideal person, but rather human beings, just as we are. God did not wait for his people to become ideal. It isn't something that mankind can even become. So instead, he sent his son, and for our sake, Jesus suffered so much, Overcame so much to bring us to the Father not because we are ideal but because we are His as you leave today remember that you are His that He heard the cry of the sin in your life and that He took that sin to the cross and defeated it for you buried it for you and left it in the grave as he rose from the dead because he loves you because he wants you because you are his amen